She was struggling. Um, she was struggling because she was a seeker. She wanted to see God, but she just had a hard time. And she finally just said to a Christian friend of hers, she finally said, I, I'm, I've been praying over and over and over, God, help me find you, help me find you, but it's just not working. It's just not, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And I pray that over and over and over again and just to no avail. God, help me find you. And, and her friend, who was a mature believer, uh, wisely said, wisely suggested that she perhaps change her prayer. In, instead of praying, God, help me find you, why don't you pray this? Why don't you simply pray, God, will you find me? Will you find me? After all, you are the good shepherd and you are at your best when you find lost sheep. Oh God, will you find me? Maybe you've come here this morning and uh, you have been seeking God and you have been trying to find him and that's just, just not you know, working. Um, for all who are trying to seek and trying to find you just don't sense that anything's getting done. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that tells us of the God who came and the God who sought and the God who found, who found. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to be looking at one of the resurrection accounts um, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and following. You'll find that on page 749 of your church Bibles. Now that same day, that's the resurrection day, first day of the week, when Jesus rose from the dead. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept, they were kept from recognizing him. Just stop right there. It's a, it's a, it's a great scene. It really is. Two disciples, not apostles, but disciples. Uh, and later we find out that one of the names of the disciples, one of the names of the followers, is a gentleman by the name of Cleopas. Cleopas. And I don't know this for sure, but it's possible that he's the same individual that John speaks of in John chapter 19, verse 25, whose name was Clopas. Just a different variation. Bill, William, Cleopas in Luke's gospel, possibly Clopas. And if that's the case, then this person with Cleopas would have been his wife. And, and you'll see how that makes sense later on in the narrative. But it's a great scene. They're leaving Jerusalem, talking with one another. It had, it had been the Passover week, and it was the conclusion. And it was Israel's most important holiday. It was, it was kind of their version of the 4th of July, Independence Day, Redemption Day. 
That annual commanded celebration when God's people remembered being delivered from Egyptian slavery. And the Passover refers to the 10th plague where the death angel came and passed over all of the homes. And those homes with the blood of the lamb stained on the doorpost, the death angel passed over. And, and those who did not have that blood-stained doorpost, the firstborn male was taken. And that next day, Israel, which had been in bondage 400 years, they were released. They, they, they were gone. That's what we're talking about here. Huge, huge festival, huge feast. Israel's most important feast. And it was a time of celebration because of what God had done. But these two were in no mood to celebrate. They were in no mood to party because they had been talking about what had happened that weekend. They were talking about what had happened to Jesus on Good Friday. And they, Luke says, literally, they were, they were playing catch with one another concerning the things that had happened that week. Playing catch. And one threw out a doubt and the other threw out an I don't know, you know. Why did, how could this have happened? He came triumphantly on Palm Sunday, but then he, how could it, I don't know. Why did the crowd turn against him? I don't know. Why did Jesus just let himself be pushed around? I don't know. Why didn't the people, want, I don't know. I don't, one threw out a doubt. The other threw out an I don't know. And when you, when you mix all of that together, that is a huge, that's a recipe for a huge dish of downcast discouragement. And, and think about this for a minute. If you're married, in marriage, sometimes you know, our spouses get down, we get down, and you know, one spouse can be down and the other can be up, and they kind of lean on each other. And, and, and you know, that's not great, but if that happens, then the leaning can occur. But what if both spouses get down and under and downcast and depressed, and that is a, that's, that's this right here. That's what this was. Luke says they were downcast. And all of a sudden, while they were walking on their way to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, it's a suburb. Huh? It's town, it means hot springs. Maybe they were just going back home for a long soak because of what had happened there. And while they were talking, all of a sudden, they hear this voice behind them. Excuse me, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but what are you all talking about? They turn around, it's Jesus, the risen Lord. He's standing right there. Not a ghost. His very presence. They can see him, but, but yet they can't see him, can they? Luke says, Luke says that they were kept from recognizing him. Now, what does that mean? They were kept from, re well, he was the risen Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't just a resuscitated corpse. That's not what we're talking about here. He was in a resurrection body. And, and yes, it was physical. I mean, Jesus says later on in Luke 24, I mean, you know, I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. Let me show you. Touch me. Hold me. I'm real. It's, it's physical, all right, but it's more than just physical. It's like transphysical. He can suddenly appear, suddenly disappear, and yet I don't think that that means that you know, the reason why they were kept from recognizing him was that he was somehow able to morph his face like some Star Trek science fiction figure. I don't know that that's what we're talking about here, but something was going on. 
Why were they kept from recognizing him? Well, that's really not the important question. The important question is the one that Cleopas asked. What things? What do you mean, what things? Are you new here? Are you a stranger in these parts? You go to Manhattan and you ask any of the New Yorkers, hey, can you tell me something about 9-11? What's all that about? They're going to look at you, what? Are you new to this planet? You know, everybody, everybody in New York knows about 9-11. Every, I mean, everybody, really. Everybody, everybody in the It's common knowledge, right? And it's common knowledge regarding what happened to Jesus that weekend in Jerusalem. Common, 25 years later, the Apostle Paul appears before Festus, a Roman. He's in Jerusalem. He appears before Festus, a Roman, and he appears before King Agrippa of Judea. And the Apostle Paul recounts the events concerning the crucifixion and the resurrection. And this is what he says. This is fascinating. He says, you know this, you know about these things, Agrippa. And then he says this. He says, these things were not done in a corner. They were not done in a corner. So Cleopas says, what do you mean? What, 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 are you new here? Cle- it's, 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 ir- it's irony. Cleopas is put out that this stranger is so ignorant about the things concerning Christ when, in fact, Cleopas is ignorant that the stranger is, in fact, Christ. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Jesus plays dumb. What things? (laughs) What things? The things about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 19. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus just got demoted. He was the son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. And now Cleopas just demoted him to, eh, prophet. Huh? Prophet, whoa. Whoa. And then, and then the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. I mean, this, is, this ultimate tragedy occurred and we just have a hard time making you know heads or tails of all of this we just don't get it and so they're down and then they crucified him it's it's a great scene two broken down downcast disheartened disciples telling how the last flame in israel's history was snuffed out when in fact jesus himself is standing right there and they just don't see him. They just can't see him. He's standing right there. Sometimes, sometimes that happens in our life. It does. I mean, sometimes, I mean, God is standing right next to us. God's right here. And we just don't see it. We say, we say, God, my life is a mess. Help. And he's right there. He's right in the middle of the ordinariness of life. He's in a room like this, carpet and lights. And I mean, we just don't see it. And I think one of the reasons why we don't see it is because, because it is just, just, he shows up in the ordinariness of life, like a walk home, you know? And when Jesus ministered, he was, you know, yeah, it looked so much like man, acted so much like God. And reminds me of that song by Joan Osborne. What if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home? I think, did Joan Osborne read Luke 24 when she wrote that song? What is that all about? Huh? What if God were just one of us? You're on the bus and there's this stranger and that's God. Wow. So ordinary. And yet they couldn't see it. 
Why couldn't they see it? Why? Why couldn't they see it, huh? Well, it's not because it wasn't real. No, no, no. It's not because he wasn't real. This, listen, if, if Luke was trying to, if, if Luke was trying to make a, le, if, this, if Luke was trying to write legend stuff, he wouldn't have put it this way. He wouldn't have. Would not have put it this way at all. And, and the reason why I know that is, have you read any of the resurrection accounts in, in the Gnostic Gospels? Oh, now that's legend. That this stuff is just pretty well straightforward, like it like actually happened. But you know, you go to Barnes and Noble or Pages for All Ages or Borders, and you, you, you'll find uh, you'll find the, the bookshelves littered with you know the Gnostic Gospels. Uh, that's legend. That's legend. I mean, sixteen hundred years ago, intelligent early Christian leaders rejected those because they were just outlandish. For instance, in the Gnostic gospel called the Ascension of Isaiah, all right? Now, please understand, nobody actually saw the resurrection take place. I mean, nobody. The gospels don't say someone saw the resurrection. What we have is the empty tomb, and then we have the appearances of Christ, that's what we have, but not according to the Gnostic Gospels. Now, you read the Gnostic Gospels, then <laughs> you've got, listen to this, this is a legend. You've got the, the archangel Gabriel, and then you've got Michael, and they roll back the stone. How do they know it was them? It's in the Gnostic Gospels, it's legendary. Then they go into the tomb, and then they hoist Jesus up on their shoulders and they come marching out of the tomb, and Jesus is out on their shoulders, and then he sends out the 12. I read that account of the Gnostic Gospels, and I think, Rudy, 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 touchdown Jesus, Rudy. Now, that's a legend, huh? That's a legend. And furthermore, furthermore, and, and this is an important point, if if this were a legend and Luke wanted it to sound real, he would never have included verses 22 to 24. He wouldn't have. Verse 22 says, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen visions of angels. That would have never been. And here's why, and you're not going to like this, but this is the way it was. In the first century, women were not regarded as credible witnesses. See, if this were a legend and Luke wanted it to sound real, he would never have included this. So if we don't see Jesus, it's not because it's, it's, not because it's not real. It's real, all right. Luke tells us that in Luke chapter one, verses one through four, he says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, he talked to the eyewitnesses. This is what they saw. This is what they experienced. And that's what he wrote. So then why couldn't they see him? Hmm? Why couldn't they see him? Hmm. I think we need to pay attention to verse 21. Because I think verse 21 tells us, well, yes, Jesus was in his resurrection body, but I think verse 21 is the key. When Cleopas said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There it is right there. I think that's why you couldn't see him. We had hoped. Cleopas was looking. We know redeem. What is that word? We hear that at church and we hear that at the grocery store, right? Church, grocery store. Redeeming coupons. 
at the grocery store, the church redeemed. Well, Cleopas was looking for political and economic redemption. That's what he was looking for. He was looking for someone to show up and overthrow the Roman Empire. That's what he, see, Cleopas, we're a lot like Cleopas. We really are. Because we're thinking that, you know, God, what I want you to do is I want you to come in. I want you to change my circumstances. And if you can just change my circumstances, then I'm going to be okay. And what we do is we create, and, and let me, I want to talk about this for a minute. False heavens, false hells, and functional saviors. False heavens, false hells, and functional saviors. I, 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 speaking of the grocery store, Next time you go to the grocery store, just go to the magazine section and take a look at the front covers of the magazine sections and you'll, you'll see what I mean. And, and I got this from a great book I read this week. It's called Vintage Jesus. Listen to this. There's a quote from this book. It says, the cover of each magazine is a snapshot of what a group of people consider to be their heaven, right? So for instance, there's Red Book Heaven, there's Red Book Heaven, right? And in Red Book Heaven, in Red Book Heaven, you're happy, you're thin, and you don't have cranky skin. Okay? So if, so if you are in, if you're in cranky skin hell, then you need to get Red Book because that's Red Book Heaven, all right? Maybe you're not in uh, cranky skin hell. Maybe you're in slob hell. If you're in slob hell, then you need to consider Vogue Heaven, all right, Vogue Heaven. Because in Vogue Heaven, you look like a movie star, you have a pocket GPS, you have money in a Swiss bank account, and, and you look great in a tissue-thin blouse. That's slob hell, you need Vogue Heaven. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're in double bogey hell, okay? That's me. Then I need golf heaven. Golf, that's it, right? Think golf heaven. Maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe you're just all thumbs hell. You're all thumbs hell. And so, if, you, if, if it's all thumbs hell, then, then popular mechanics loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It, 25 skills, 25 skills every man should know. What, like courting a woman? Nah. Being a spiritual leader of your household? Nada. Uh, loving your child to Christ? No way. No, no. Rewire an outlet. Huh? Back up a trailer, and most importantly, hook up your HDTV. 25 skills every man should know. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe instead you're in flabby hell. Flabby hell. If you are in flabby hell, then what you need is you need men's health heaven. That's what you need. <laughs> men's health heaven. <laughs> what? What? I could have showed you the one without the, sh without the sweater, the guy without the shirt on, you know, but... My sons have told me, Dad, please don't take off your shirt. Please, Dad, don't. Please, please don't. In men's health heaven, here it is. In men's health heaven, they offer tech toys, flat belly foods, and great abs in eight days. Great abs. You want a six-pack in eight days? Huh? Which, by the way, if we're true, it'd be more miraculous than the resurrection itself. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> False hells. You know what I'm talking about? False. There's fat hell. There's ugly hell, there's clutter hell, there's loneliness hell, there's geek hell. Hey, it's, it's election year, right? There's George W. Bush hell. Hey, eight years ago, it was Bill Clinton hell, and four years from now, it's gonna be President 44 hell, you know? And then there's anxiety hell, right? Price of gas, man, keeps going up. This mortgage meltdown stuff, what's going on, inflation, and, we're, and so 
You know, so false hells need functional saviors. Well, like what? Well, like the right makeup, the right haircut, the right clothes, the right figure for the right clothes, the right technological gadgets, the right spouse, the right child, the right university for my right child, the right job, the right truck, the right neighborhood. See, Cleopas? See, he wanted a functional savior for his false hell so that he could be delivered in some false heaven. And, and so he approached Jesus like, you know, he was a sufferer wanting relief. And that's why he didn't see Jesus. Because whenever we approach Jesus like a sufferer needing relief from our circumstances instead of a redeemer, he had bigger problems than his false hells. He did. He was a sinner. He was separated from God. He needed forgiveness. That's what he needed. But he, you know, but he lived a nice suburban life. I know, I'm there. You know? Went to a respectable college prep school. I got good degrees. I live in Clark Park. Well, you know, what do I need Jesus for, man? And so I don't see him. What about you? Cleopas wanted a general. What he needed was a redeemer. And then on top of that, <laughs> verse 21 Verse 21, verse 20 says, on top of that, his, his, the, the, they crucified him. <sighs> I mean, he, would, he was banking it all on this. They crucified him. And, 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 and church family, listen to me. That does not mean, uh, oh, it'll be okay in, 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 in three days after he gets, no, 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 no. No, when it says they crucified him, that phrase means run for your lives. That's what that means. That phrase means Rome's in charge. That, that means we backed the wrong horse. That's what that means. We're getting out while the getting's good. That's what that means. And so there he is. He's right there. His false hell has been, what's, what's, what's God good? He can't see him. You know what I mean? What's Jesus going to do? Oh, this is where it gets really good. This is where the corner is turned here. Jesus listens to them. You know, this empty tomb talk, women. And then he said to him, and I want you to notice what he didn't say in verse 25. He listens. You know, he didn't do the active listening thing that we learn in seminary. And yes, uh-huh, so you're hurting, so you're down, so you're depressed. He, he doesn't do all that. He doesn't do any of that at all, none. You know what he's, verse 25, he listens intently, and then he says, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all the... I'm going to start doing that when you come into my office, by the way, starting this Wednesday at the walk-ins. Yeah, yeah, you're going to come in and none of this active listening stuff. How foolish you are and slow... Oh, man, that's, that'll thin the crowd out, won't it? Huh? Yeah. I, I may not be good, but I'm cheap. Okay. <laughs> And by the way, that word foolish means uninformed. Uh, uninformed what? Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? Now, this is, this is beautiful. I think Luke planned this when he was writing this entire gospel because do you remember when Je you remember another Passover that had occurred, an earlier Passover, like when Jesus was 12 and his 
folks had left Jerusalem and they realized, you know, they thought he was with another family and he wasn't and they lost him. They lost him. <laughs> so they, they raced back to Jerusalem. On the third day, they found him. Where'd they find him? At the temple, right? And then, where have you been? What did he say? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Here at the end of Luke's gospel, another couple going away from Jerusalem, only he catches up with them. Did you not know that the Messiah had to suffer? He had to. And then enter his glory. And then verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning the Son of God opens the word of God so that they might see the truth of God. Son of God opens the word. Luke is wanting us to know that. That if we're going to see God, if we're going to see Jesus, it's going to be in the opening of his word. But you need, to, you need to understand this. It's not just in the opening of the word. It's in realizing that, look, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, all of the scriptures are about Jesus. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians? That the law, the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament is like a tutor pointing us to Christ. It's all about Christ. So, so I can just, well, would you have loved to have been to that Bible study or what? And Jesus, you know, maybe he goes to Genesis chapter 3 where God said to the serpent, you know, I will put enmity between you and the woman, that's Eve, and your offspring and hers, and, and you will strike his heel. That's a very painful blow, but he will crush your head. That's resurrection talk right there, huh? And, and, and then maybe he talked about Abraham. And yes, we need to have the faith of Abraham. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And Abraham went to see the promised land. He didn't know where it was. God just said, go, I'll tell you when you get there. We need that kind of faith, right? And then, and then we need, you know, we need to, 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 to strive for the faith of Abraham and Isaac. Take your, he finally gave him his son. Isaac and, and, after, and the promise, the son of promise. And he, he said, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. And, and you know, you see that and you say, whoa, wow. You know, so, is the message, so is the message God wants me to trust him enough that I would you know, be willing to kill my son? I've had such thoughts before, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I, don't, I think, you know, you're Isaac. You're Isaac. And you're the one who's bound. And you're the one who's put on the altar. And Satan is about ready to plunge the knife into you. And at the last minute, God provides the substitute. The substitute. Yeah. We've just been studying Job, right? And we think, yeah, we want to be like Job. We want to persevere and suffer. But you know what? You're not Job. You know, we're Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. We're so locked into our law-keeping and legalism, we'd sacrifice an innocent sufferer just to keep it. And that's what Jesus did what happened to Jesus, who is the ultimate innocent Job, who bowed his head into the storm of suffering. You see? You see? You read, you read David and Goliath, you're not David. You're not. I'm sorry. You are the cowering Israelites. You're too afraid to take the field. But God provides the substitute. He provides a weak and ruddy substitute who faces the greater Goliath. And in fact, this David is slaughtered, but by the power of God, he's raised. Wow. That's what I'm talking about here. 
all of the scriptures, I mean, and verse by verse, their eyes began to see that the crucifixion was not accidental to God's plan. It was essential. And the crucifixion did not disprove Jesus as the Messiah. The crucifixion proved his Messiahship. And if there's crucifixion, then we're talking about an empty tomb here and a resurrection and a new body. And the resurrection is, in fact, answer to that portion of the Lord's prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, when we die, we're not just going to be disembodied spirits. And, and, and that's Greek philosophy, we're going to get a new body, and it's going to be new heavens and a new earth. And, if, and that being the case, Jesus is the first. He inaugurates this new age, this new newness that's coming over, and it's going to affect. And so, he calls us to live now the way it's going to be later. And so every worship gathering, every time we go to salt and light, and give away clothing. Every time someone is ministered to for health care, every time we go to the Dominican Republic, every time a family, a marriage is saved, every time a temptation is resisted, that's just a signpost to God's future culminating work with the new heavens and the new earth. And we get to part We, God says, I want you to live now the way it's going to be forever. And, and, when that day finally comes, I like how C.S. Lewis describes it in the last installment of the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle. C.S. Lewis says that the new heavens and the new earth, they're chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I can't wait. Now do you see why their hearts were burning? Oh, my goodness. Well, they get to the exit ramp. Jesus says, this has been nice. Thanks. I'm going on. No, stay. Please, stay. Okay. And verse 30 is nothing less than the Garden of Eden reversed. Remember that? What happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 when that couple took that meal and that meal resulted in separation from God and they were downcast and outcast? Remember? Here's another meal. Another meal served not by the serpent but by the Savior. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they saw they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight they, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us luke intends for us to see the risen christ as we open the word and as we share in holy communion breaking of the bread which is what we'll be doing here in just a moment it's in the ordinariness of life some of you are waiting for this 
4th of July like fireworks experience before you're going to turn to God. And you know the thing of it is, about one out of a hundred, you know, are like that. And, and it's true. That's it. I mean, it, those are true. But let me tell you what it's like for the 99 of the rest of us. We're just doing life along the ordinariness of life. And a problem or a person begins to pull us to God. And we say, okay, you know, all right. I'm going to be open this time. And, and then Jesus is in it. And it's only afterwards that we realize, whoa, he was there. And once they realized that they were beneficiaries of the new heavens and the new earth, it dawned on them that they're not just beneficiaries, they're ambassadors. They no longer ask the question, why did this happen? The question now is, who can we tell? Look, verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true, the Lord is risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then, and then the two told what had happened along the way. And how, I mean, everybody's talking about how Jesus has shut up, of course. Yeah, and then I love verse 36. And, you know, the verse divisions didn't exist when Luke wrote. It's, while all this is going on, while all, everybody's talking about Jesus, look what happens, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now that does not mean peace, man. Hey, maybe. Peace, love, and joy, man. Everything's gonna be cool. If I had a hammer, I'd have, that's not what that means, all right? What does it mean? It means Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, who say to Windsor Road Christian Church, who say to your family, your marriage, your life, your God reigns. We open the word of God and we see the son of God who then reveals to us the truth of God. And that truth is this. Your God reigns. And then Jesus says this. He says, I am your God. Open our eyes, Lord. Slay the false heavens and the false hells and the functional saviors that would keep us from seeing you. Just slay them. Open our eyes as we open your word so that we can see your son as he truly is. Risen, reigning, alive. Amen. Amen.